Good morning. I mentioned this in the first service. I, I feel it's appropriate to mention again in the second. Um, I appreciated uh, Rod's prayer. It spoke to my heart in many respects. This week has been a difficult week, and I would venture to guess for many of us in this room, we have some concerns and some frustrations about the state of our country and where we may be going. But one thing is certain, is that the providence of God never ceases to amaze and always leads us in the sovereign direction that God has ordained. That being said, that I am very excited for us to begin a new series today, examining the book of Philippians. I believe wholeheartedly, and you will even see today as we look at some of the overall themes and purposes of this book, that God has this for such a time as this, specifically for us here at Miriam Christian Chapel. The encouragements that we see from Paul in this letter, the foundations within this letter, at least for me, spoke to my heart in the midst of what I believe is perhaps a dark future in some respects for our, our country. But that dark future does not have to be our reality in what we live in. We will see that Paul had a purpose to encourage the church at Philippi with specific foundations that were appropriate for them during that time but once again, I believe wholeheartedly will speak directly to us during this time. One secular writer listed five reasons on why life is hard. Plays right into what I'm discussing. The difficulties of perhaps what the future in store. He said, we are emotional beings we hinge our happiness on others. We don't realize how much effort things take. We are constantly struggling with criticism. We have impending fears that often overcome us. That one there might strike a chord for many of you even now. Impending fears of what the future may hold that often overcome us. What does Scripture say? Does it confirm these same truths? Yes, it does. Matthew seven fourteen. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few. Paul wrestled with this struggle in Romans chapter 7. When he said, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He goes on to say, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest 
But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Perhaps the book of James gives one of the biggest reasons for the difficulty of life. James 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It began in the garden. And it will continue until glorification. The inherent desire of human beings to be autonomous. To desire control. Our fleshly desires are a result of our sin, which is the reason, the ultimate reason for our difficulty in life. So, what is the solution? In our new series, we'll explore several answers to that question found throughout the book of Philippians. In many respects, you could say that this letter is a sort of treatise for joyful Christian living one commentator had this to say of the epistle this epistle gives us the experience of christian life in its highest and most perfect expression say rather its normal condition under the power of the spirit of god today's message will serve as our introduction to the book as a whole we will examine in an overview format today, two encouragements, two foundations in the historical background of this church. This morning, I want us to consider answering the question, how will I be an encouragement to others? We need encouragement in this room. This world most certainly needs encouragement. We will see throughout this was a primary purpose and focus of Paul when he penned this letter. Are you ready to go on the journey with me? Amen. Would you stand with me as we read what I will call our theme verse from this book. From Philippians chapter 1. Verse 27 could be a theme verse for each and every one of us in our lives. Paul wrote, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. You may be seated. Before we examine the two encouragements and two foundations found within this letter, I want us to look at the historical background. The good news is 
is that we actually have scripture that speaks to the historical background of this church. We see that in Acts chapter 16. If you're able, if you would turn there. We'll look at several verses that lay the groundwork for us. We will come back, obviously, to Philippians in a big picture view today. We see in verse 9 of this chapter 16 of Acts, the birth of the first European church, which was inspired by a divine vision given to Paul to visit this location. We see in verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, in present day context, to give you a little bit of geographical context, Macedonia is located in the country today that we would call Greece. And specifically, the Roman colony of Philippi that we will see here in Acts chapter 16, in the area that is in between Turkey and the peninsula of Greece above the Aegean Sea. I stated, and we see in verse 12, that Philippi was a Roman colony. This will be a very important historical element that will serve to provide context for us in two of the foundations that Paul speaks to, and we'll look at that later. In addition, it's interesting to note from verse 13 that when Paul encounters those that desired to follow Christ at this Roman colony in Macedonia, he only encounters women at first. You see in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now the deduction that is often made by many here is that the reason why there were only women here is that there were not enough Jewish men to form a synagogue, which we know would have been ten heads of household that would have enabled a synagogue to be formed. Either way, beginning with the conversion of Lydia and her family, we see the church here as predominantly a Gentile church. Look at verses 14 and 15. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now we will see throughout this series that opposition to the Christian life is something that we can never escape. We see it even in the birth of this church. Verses 16 through 24, we have the account of a demon-possessed girl who confronts Paul and Silas. 
along with her owner who is upset that he is taking away his opportunity to profit off of this woman. We also see within those verses that Paul and Silas are further accosted and then beaten and thrown into prison. Opposition, suffering right from the birth of this church. However, in the face of this opposition, we also see primary, the primary encouragement from Paul. Look at verses 25 through 30. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? One can certainly rejoice in the midst of suffering in opposition. We see it here in the birth of this church. How often do we despair in the midst of our suffering in opposition because we do not know the beginning from the end? The challenge for us, those of us that are born again believers in Jesus Christ, is to trust the promises of Scripture that God is working everything together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. In the face of this suffering here in this account, in this opposition, God in His good providence worked out the salvation of the Philippian jailer, including his family. Even at the end of the chapter, following Paul's release from prison, we see Paul's emphasis of encouragement for the church at Philippi. Look at verse 40. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed now throughout the book of philippians we will see several themes from paul for the purpose of specificity and priority focused priority i want us as i mentioned to focus upon two primary encouragements and two foundations that paul desired to communicate to the church at Philippi. It will be important for us as we progress in the next several months to never lose sight of these. It's a foundational component of biblical interpretation. The original author had an original intent and purpose that he desired to communicate to the original audience. 
And our interpretation and our application must never contradict that. So make a note of it. Come back to it throughout our study. With that understood, let's turn our attention to the first encouragement found in the book of Philippians as a whole, and that is a call for unity. A call for unity. If you recall, one of the reasons listed by the secular writer that I referenced for a difficult life was that finding out how much effort things takes contributes to a difficult life. Unity is most certainly a difficult endeavor. But it is a worthwhile pursuit. Think about marriage as an example. Hopefully, in many respects, the best example outside of the perfect union of the triune Godhead of unity. How long does the honeymoon stage last? For some of us, perhaps shorter than others. I say this with a smile on my face. I'm still in mine. (laughs) 25 years later. No, honestly, I'm not in my honeymoon stage, that's for sure. Some of you will be in it here shortly. But the pursuit of unity in marriage, when we are unified the way God calls us to be and the manner that demonstrates the reflection of Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ brings wonderful joy and pleasure. It's a worthwhile pursuit, although a difficult one. Two sinners coming together, still wrestling with the flesh, makes for hard work. However, as I stated, we all can agree that that pursuit is one that is full of joy and pleasure. Throughout our study, we will see repeated calls from Paul unity chapter 1 verse 27 chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 verse 14 chapter 3 verse 17 chapter 4 verse 2 the absolute priority of being of one mind in one spirit is a continual focus for paul throughout this letter Even when it comes to our question that I desire for us to ask, how will I be an encouragement to others? Could our theme verse that we read together serve as an example for us that we would live a life that would be counted worthy of the gospel of Christ? A life such as that certainly exemplifies unity and serves to encourage others. As you consider the desire not to grumble and complain in life, and each and every one of us, be honest, we're guilty of it. Would chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, serve as the ultimate example when you see the unity of Christ in the Godhead and how he desires to lay aside his divine privileges to suffer death on a cross, 
reflect and even call us to pursue the mind of Christ, which in turn inspires and motivates us to not live a life of grumbling and complaining. Maybe there is a brother or sister in Christ even now who you have struggled to be in harmony with. Even here, perhaps, in this room. Maybe as we examine the passage found in chapter 4 of Paul's charge for Euodia and Syntyche to be in harmony and unity together would serve as an example and a charge and a call for you to pursue harmonious, unifying relationships within the body of Christ. The beauty of Bible exposition is that we will have the opportunity to unpack these specific details, to examine them and then seek to apply them to our life, albeit never contradicting those original purposes, encouragements, foundations. There is so much for us to dig up, unpack, and uncover And I'm super excited to do that with you in the next several months. That being said, let's look to our second encouragement in the book as a whole. And that is a call to rejoice in suffering and opposition. We all understand that through the fall, suffering is a reality of life. Unfortunately, there are certain men, one pastor in particular, that is often known for quoting this statement that today, now, is your best life now. And I would argue he's perhaps more of a motivational speaker than a true shepherd of God's people. A shepherd, a pastor, understands and desires that we would have joy and happiness as we serve Christ Suffering and opposition is coming for all of us. One secular example, as I mentioned in the introduction, stated that we are all emotional beings. This contributes to a life of difficulty. Emotions are real and vivid, at times crippling to us. I've quoted this psalm before, Psalm 42.3, many of us, at different times in our life, feel the weight and understand what the psalmist says when he says, my tears have been my food day and night. We will see throughout that Philippians, in Philippians, Paul touches quite often on this topic of suffering and opposition. He does not run from it. You recall, even in our introduction, that the church was birthed with it moreover i have not even spoken to this but it is understood that paul penned this letter as he was when he was imprisoned in the midst of persecution and suffering and yet he desired to speak into the lives of others encouraging them the theme is seen throughout chapter 1 verses 12 through 26 paul's experience in chains The calling for Christians to suffer. 129. 
2.27 and 30, Epaphroditus' suffering. And in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul's knowledge of knowing what it means to be in need. It's clearly throughout his entire message. We need to hear that message, even now. Specifically for us in the 21st century, the church at Philippi needed to hear it in their circumstances. We need to hear it today. However, the key is that Paul's encouragement is not just that suffering and opposition is a reality, but that we can rejoice in that suffering and opposition. Indeed, our tears at times get the most of us. But by the power of Christ, we can have a victorious Christian life. I just read a statement from a pastor that I admire and follow a great deal this week. Pastor Stephen Lawson, who founded One Passion Ministries and is a professor at Master's Seminary in California. He stated, the Christian life is not hard. It is impossible. You cannot live in it, in your own strength. Only by the power of Christ can it be done. In Philippians, we will see that by the power of Christ, we can rejoice in suffering and opposition irrespective of circumstances. No matter how dire they seem. Within this epistle, joy or a form of rejoice will be used 18 times. Another clear indication of Paul's desire to provide encouragement. It would be my hope and prayer that chapter 4, verse 4, is a daily goal of ours. That we would say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. No matter what this world has for us, we can rejoice. Paul sat in prison and penned a letter calling others to rejoice. Church history is littered with examples of men and women in the face of extreme suffering and opposition that lived a life of joy and rejoicing. You might even recall the historical account of Acts 16 that we alluded to. What did Paul and Silas do after they were beaten and imprisoned? But rejoiced through songs and hymns. Within that account, we even see that the prisoners listened to them. Paul will say in chapter 2, verse 15 of Philippians, that in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation, the Christian life, light can serve as a beacon on a mountaintop. Christian living is certainly wholly 
Rejoicing Christian living is certainly an opportunity for this world, which is certainly crooked and perverse and continues in many respects to increase. You can be a light in the midst of it. I pray that our study of this book will encourage us in the same manner. Commentator Walter Hansen communicated the benefit for the original audience in these words. This is, this is good. Listen to this. He says, Like a mighty river surging through solid rock, joy flows from this letter through the suffering community of believers, giving them love for one another and the peace of God. Listen. That world that we live in today is most certainly seemingly an impenetrable solid rock of depravity but as believers we have access to a river flowing with joy and grace will you be a conduit of that joy of that grace god is calling you to be a means in that process he will sovereignly call those whom He has chosen. But He is calling you to be a part of that process. Are you thankful? Are you ready for that? You need to preach it to yourself. I do it daily. I need it. The world needs it. So, we've spoken of our two primary encouragements. Let's now focus upon the two primary foundations of the letter. Number one being the gospel of Christ. When you consider the term popular culture, it's often defined as an ordinary set of practices and beliefs that are widely accepted. In many respects, for years, we've been told that we are in a post Christian culture and therefore our approach to church to outreach to evangelism must change one article listed advice for your church being ready to reach unchurched people your main service needs to be ready to engage teenagers people who attend your church need to know unchurched people your attenders are prepared. They need to be prepared to be non-judgmental, and you need to be prepared to have, have good questions. Now listen, in some respects, I would agree with what they're saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But the reason why I list these is because one thing was missing from that article. You know what it was? A focus upon the centrality of the gospel of Christ. I suspect the reason why that was missing is that perhaps the writer of that article believes that the simple gospel in and of itself is not enough. Perhaps that's the reason why churches feel the need to have catchy slogans such as, we are the church for the unchurched. 
In all seriousness, my friends, the gospel will always be relevant. It will never return void. In some respects, that will be to an aroma of death unto death. And that should grieve every one of our hearts. And yet God is righteous to do so. But our heart, our prayer, our excitement is that the centrality of the gospel is our priority because we desire that it would be an aroma of life unto life, calling men and women unto repentance, turning from the sin that they know within their heart of hearts leaves them guilty before a holy God. And yet Christ took the punishment that they deserve, suffering on the cross, in order that they might have access to eternal life, forgiveness of sins. You recall from the historical context, we learn that Philippi was a Roman colony. There's a reason why I'm talking about culture here. Within that culture, a Roman emperor or Caesar, if you will, in many respects was worshipped as divine. And yet, Paul, in the face of that culture, was bold in his proclamation of the foundation of the gospel of Christ as being primary. The term gospel is found seven times throughout the letter. Moreover, as a point of emphasis, even as we read chapter 1, verse 27, this is the first imperative or command that is found within this letter. That we would be found standing firm for the gospel of Christ in the midst of a culture such as the Roman Empire that was calling their people to worship a gospel of Caesar, Paul boldly proclaimed that they would stand firm worshiping the gospel of Christ. And yet we think that we have it difficult in our culture. Would we echo similar sent sentiments as the 16th century theologian John Calvin when he said, without the gospel, everything is useless and vain. Without the gospel, we are not Christians. Without the gospel, all riches is poverty, all wisdom folly before God. He goes on to say, but by the knowledge of the gospel, we are made children of God, brothers of Jesus Christ, fellow townsmen with the saints, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Romans 1, 16 clearly says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Does that mean that we are not creative? That we don't think outside of the box at times when we desire to reach our culture for Christ, when we desire to disciple others? No, it does not. But let it never be said that this church, and that's what I love about this church, 
177 years that the priority of the gospel of Christ will not waver. And I give you my commitment here as your pastor, as your shepherd into the future, that will never change as long as I'm here, no matter what the world says. No matter what they say we can say or not say. Yes, this is a priority for us. And our history clearly shows that. However, don't ever take it for granted. Would this study of the book of Philippians, Philippians cause us to prioritize it even more? And friends, I wholeheartedly believe in the midst of the culture that we're living in, we need it. The priority of the gospel now more than ever. But listen, it won't be found in our power, but in the power of Christ. Our second foundation, Paul's foundation for this church, is the fellowship of Christ. When we think of what contributes to victorious Christian living, we were reminded by the quote from Stephen Lawson that it is impossible with the, without the power of Christ. My friends, I would also add that it is impossible for what I would call lone ranger Christians, if you will. We are all familiar with Hebrews 10, verse 25. It's interesting to note, to not gloss over a few words within this verse. He says, the writer, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another and, listen to this, all the more as the day is drawing near. All the more. Now listen, I just got done saying that our application, our interpretation should never contradict what was meant for the original audience. That message, even for when it was penned, the writer to the Hebrews was clearly on display. Whether it was for the church at Philippi too, if they might have thought of this encouragement being important. Every day that transpires and expires as we move forward is drawing closer and nearer to the end. All the more each day that passes by, whether it was a hundred years ago or today or tomorrow, our focus has to be on encouraging one another. Paul's focus to the church at Philippi was that one of the key foundations is the fellowship of Christ. We will see that Paul uses the phrase in Christ throughout this epistle in various forms 21 times. The primary focus of this phrase throughout this epistle is that corporate union with Christ. Some of us may remember the illustration that I utilized 
several months ago when I preached from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 about a little old water tower in Florence, Kentucky that states, Florence, y'all. Some of you recall that illustration? If you're from the South, you understand that y'all refers to you all. You in the plural. Paul, throughout that context, in chapter 2 and often throughout the book of Philippians, is utilizing the plural Greek pronoun you, which pertains to the corporate union with Christ, his desire to speak to the church as a whole. In the same manner that the historicity of this Roman colony contributed to the foundation of the gospel of Christ, it also contributes to the foundation of the fellowship of Christ. One commentator had this to say, our understanding of the relationship of the community in Christ to the world is clarified by Paul's assertion to the Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven. 320. The Philippians were Roman citizens under the authority of the emperor. But they had a more fundamental allegiance. They were citizens of a heavenly colony under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you consider times, great times of encouragement within your life, I would venture to guess in the same manner as it is for me, often those great times of encouragement Come when you are surrounded within the partnership and the fellowship of the saints for the sake of the gospel. Paul understood this with the church at Philippi as well. And we will look at this in more detail next week. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 5 reads, I thank my God in all remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So, I take a breath and I say, hopefully you are as excited as I am to go on this journey with me through the book of Philippians. As we spend the next several months mining out, digging up the details, let's keep the big picture in mind. It will be critical for us. The encouragements of a call to unity and a call to rejoice in suffering and opposition and the foundations of the gospel of Christ and the fellowship of Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you as humble servants desiring by the grace of God to be used of you 
whether it's the context that we live in here today or during the Reformation or during the birth of the church as a whole or even during the birth of the church at Philippi, we will never escape suffering. We will never escape opposition. Your word confirms that for us. But oh God, we can rejoice always in the truths of Scripture, the comforting realities of Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would use your inspired, inerrant, living word of God to transform our minds through this study, to conform us more into the image of Christ in order that we might not be found masquerading, if you will, in a world that desires us to fall into conformity. But that we might be found standing bold for the gospel of Christ, yet with grace and compassion for the lost and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?
certainly he paid the debt and made us free. We'll close with the benediction that Paul's benediction was for the church of Philippians chapter 4, verse 23, the last verse of the book. We will never get old to hear words such as this. May it be a blessing upon you as you leave here today. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You may be dismissed.